Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This is NBA Today, live from Los Angeles. This was a season that had so much promise, and it all a complete tragedy. No regrets. It happens. People want to have some hope of what may happen in the future, but it's hard for me to say. I can't worry about what people say. I just focus on me. Welcome to NBA Today. I'm LaChina Robinson, in for Malika Andrews, and I've got an elite panel of insiders with me today, Tim Bonteps, Bobby Marks, and Brian Windhorst. Just when it looked like the tensions with the Nets were cooling off, well, Kevin Durant turned up the heat. ESPN sources confirm Katie has told Brooklyn to choose between him and coach Steve Nash and general manager Sean Marks. The meeting between Durant and Nets governor Joe Tsai was first reported by The Athletic, which also noted it occurred on the one-year anniversary of Durant signing his extension. On Monday, Tsai tweeted this, quote, our front office and coaching staff have my support we will make decisions in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets. All right, Brian, start with you. What is going on behind the scenes with the Nets right now? Yeah, this is an odd maneuver from Durant. And I use the word maneuver because this was um, done quite transparently to try to get the Nets to act, either to act to clean out their front office and coaching staff or to act in and get things moving on a trade. Um, but the timing of it is very strange. It's not something that you would you would normally see a player do. Uh, you know, the NBA is 75 years old. Star players have wanted their coaches fired for 75 years, and I am guessing they will want them fired for 75 more years. It's not something that's unusual. It's happened before. It'll happen again. But for him to not bring this up at the end of the season, to not bring this up when he asked for the trade on June 30th, to bring it up now, it's an unusual, it's unusual move. And it's frankly relatively easy for the Nets to say no to it, as Joe Sy did, because... The guy is, is, has asked to get out of your team. You can't acquiesce to such a demand, especially when he's got four years left on his contract. So I just don't, it, it's very difficult for me to see how Durant thought this was going to, to, to work in his favor. And as I've talked to teams around the league over the last 24 hours, they think, if anything, that this you know, maybe restricts his opportunity to get traded in the short term. It's going to make it even harder for teams to want to meet the price that uh, the Nets have already put up so high that it has slowed all of this down in the first place. 
Tim, I thought that the tweet by Joe Tsai was, was very telling. What do you make of the public support for his coach and, and GM? Well, that was the easiest tweet sent in the history of Twitter, right? I mean, this, this was the easiest thing of all time for Joe Tsai to do. Let me see. I'm going to choose between a guy who six weeks ago asked to be traded away from my team and wants to go play somewhere else or my coach and general manager who are under contract, right? Like that, that was the easiest thing I think he could have possibly done. And to me, to Brian's point, this situation is where it's been since June 30th. The price for Kevin Durant to be traded is very, very high, and no one has come close to reaching it. So everything that's happened since then, all the noise, all the drama that's gone on, the fundamentals of this situation haven't changed. Until somebody comes anywhere near the price that the Nets are willing to move on from Kevin Durant, you know, the second part of that Josiah tweet I think is interesting. We're going to do what's in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets. Well, if they can't get anywhere near, Bobby, what Josiah and Sean Marks think is good value for Kevin Durant, What's best for the Brooklyn Nets is to have Kevin Durant under contract for four years on their team. And by the way, if Kyrie and Ben Simmons and Kevin Durant actually decide to play and are all on the court, they could be really good. Well, on paper, of course. Well, right. right? I mean, we're, we're only we're, talking we're, on paper. We're dealing right? with the hypothetical paper in, in early August right now, and I think the big question will be what happens when we get to late September. Yeah. And I think when you look at – Certainly for Kevin Durant, and, I, and I've seen everything, and, and working in Brooklyn and New Jersey, I, I've never seen it both, the head coach and the general manager. And my big question is, like, what's changed since the end of April here after they lost to Boston in the, uh, in the first round? Remember, Kevin Durant came out publicly right after they were eliminated, and we even have sound, where he rubber-stamped and endorsed Steve Nash as far as to come back for, for next year. And in basically, you know, COVID, injuries, there were a lot of different circumstances here. And, and if he wanted Steve Nash fired, it would have been right then. It would have been a week later, not, you know, right now. Yeah, it kind of makes you feel like maybe there were some other things either happening or not happening that Kevin Durant expected. Should there oh, have maybe, been conversations? Maybe what's had? not happened is he hasn't gotten traded. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's what's changed. What's changed is he has to be traded, and he hasn't been traded. So, I mean, I think that's where we're sitting right now, where I think when this all happened six weeks ago, I'm sure Kevin assumed he'd be traded somewhere. The teams would line up, offer what the Nets would want, and a deal would get done. And what's happened is teams have been hesitant to offer that price because, as we all know at this point, teams don't think that the Nets have the leverage to really hold this thing out and get to where they need to do to get the right price. And so Kevin Durant is still in the Nets. The Nets are still sitting here in the same place they've been for weeks. We're still talking about it like we have been for weeks. And nothing has changed. And, you know, for everything that's happened over the last 24 hours, I still think that's the case. I just don't think anything's really changed. So, Brian, I go back to you then. If nothing does change, is there any chance that KD could decide to sit out if the Knicks don't make a deal? Yes, so you touched exactly on what this is going forward. So there's a two-sentence tweet from Joe Tsai. It's a pretty powerful two sentences. I think the natural thing was to pay attention to the first sentence where he basically says, I'm not firing Steve Nash and Sean Marks. But in the league, the second sentence was the more interesting sentence. We will make decisions in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets. Let me translate that for you. We are not going to be pushed into a trade. And so Kevin Durant, with this maneuver that he has gone to here to, to ask for this, in my view, has very much limited his options because he has asked to be traded. He has not been traded. He has asked for the coach and general manager to be fired. They have not been fired. So now if he is still on the roster come the end of September, which as of today I think is likely, is he going to come to camp? Can he, after being told no, 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 no across the board, 
can he come to camp and accept the L and just say, okay, I'm going to play? Um, I actually think that that would be in his best interest. I think that uh, the, the, the chances of him getting traded will, will be easier if he's playing, especially because I think the Nets, frankly, are going to be pretty good. But he may not do that. And so we may have a coming point of drama as we head towards you know the opening media day. Last year, Nets media day was dominated by Kyrie Irving um, not being uh, vaccinated and so not playing. And this year's Nets media day could be the other franchise player, whether he will show up. Well, and I think the big thing is how much money does he want to forfeit? It's a half a million dollars for every game he sits out. It's $469,000 here. And I think you know, certainly the financial element will come into, into play here. But if, if I'm a team out there, it, is my interest in Kevin Durant going to increase or decrease based on what's going on right now? And if I'm, you know, everyone, you read people say, well, just pick Kevin Durant in this situation. Show him more fire shot marks. Um, fire Steve Nash here. But what's going to be the next coach? When does it end here? And I think if you're ownership, you certainly have to put up a stand in. And remember here, Adam Silver last year said during the Ben, uh, ben Simmons uh, situation that it was a one-off. Okay, now is it a one-off? Are we going to see the same thing? We've got a collective bargaining agreement that's going to be ne negotiated again. I think you're going to see the owners really stick, you know, put a line in the sand here. And, and this, is going to be, this is going to be something certainly to follow moving forward. Well, and think back to where this started. It started with the Brooklyn Nets back in May saying they wanted to reset the culture around the team and to take back control of the team, right? To have it be sort of a, a more traditional structure and that they had a lot more uh, logical planning throughout everything that was going on, right? If you go around and throw out your coach and GM now in late and mid-August and just throw things back, you're going right back to what they declared publicly they weren't going to do anymore. Yeah. So to me, it just it doesn't make any sense on any level for them to do what Kevin Durant wants here. And again, they have all the they have the leverage here. Kevin Durant is under contract. He's on their team. People keep saying, well, if this is what you have to do to have Kevin Durant on your team, then you do it. They have Kevin Durant on their team. The only way they don't have Kevin Durant on their team is if they trade him. So to me, I you know, like I said. The Joe Sy tweet was the easiest layup for him of all time. Let me support my guys and continue to reiterate that we're going to go in a different direction with our team moving forward. Well, and Brian, you mentioned opening night. If you had to pick one, who is more likely to be on the floor for Brooklyn on opening night, KD or Kyrie? Because let's not forget, there's, there are two pieces here that are important moving forward. This is now a very compelling question. And, I mean, I actually look forward to the book that Steve Nash hopefully is going to write about this time. But at the beginning of the summer, as Tim just mentioned, we had Kyrie at odds with the team over his contract with his future not a certain and Durant under a long-term contract. Now we have the exact reversal. We have Durant, not sure if he's even going to show up, and Kyrie and the Nets showing support for each other on social media, and even Joe Sy recently tweeting praise of Kyrie Irving, because with only one year left on his contract, Kyrie needs to have a very good year this year. So now you have the exact inverse of what we had in June, where it looks like Kyrie is the more solid member of the Nets, and it's Durant who may not show up. It's a very odd set of circumstances and we are still in the middle of this unfolding story. And we've been wondering why those projections seem to fluctuate so much when we start to talk about Brooklyn. All right, well, still to come on NBA Today, our win-loss projections for the West are out. 
why the reigning champs may have a tougher road back to glory. Plus, we take a look at how the Lakers fared in our projections. Will LeBron and the Lakers miss the playoffs for a third time in five seasons? And more on Kevin Durant's situation. Bobby Marks fires up the trade machine and proposes some trade packages for KD. Keep it locked. NBA Today will be right back. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. You're watching NBA Today, live from Los Angeles. Welcome back to NBA Today. Back here with ESPN senior writer Brian Windhorst, ESPN front office insider Bobby Marks, and NBA reporter Tim Bontemps. Gents, let's take a look at the Western Conference projected win totals just out today. Our insiders have the Suns repeating as the top seed in the West with 56 wins, followed by the defending champs, the Warriors, and then the Nuggets, who are expected to get Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back. The Wolves, Pelicans, Lakers, and Trailblazers are the four play-in teams. Let's start there, Brian, with uh, LeBron's squad projected as a play-in team for 2023. How do you feel about that? I think that is kind of generous. That's believing that the Lakers are going to get a mostly healthy season from Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Because with unless those two are playing at a very high level, with the roster that they currently have, the Lakers are going to have to be great to get into that playoff situation. They just the, the supporting cast that they have assembled is just really kind of haphazard. Uh, you know, they, they have a new coaching staff. They're going to have a whole bunch of new players and new alignments. They're really going to need LeBron and AD to carry them to a bunch of wins in a Western Conference that is going to be highly, highly competitive. Um, you know, I you know if you look at it. Uh, you know, the Suns won 64 games last year. They were awesome. And this projection has them winning eight fewer games. And it's not because we think they got worse. We just think that the West is going to be better. So if you're asking the Lakers to dramatically improve their win total without dramatically improving their roster, that's a big ask. Well, look, if you look at the bottom of the Western Conference, those five teams below them, Utah's blowing up their team. Houston, Oklahoma City, San Antonio are all clearly trying to position themselves still for the lottery. And then you've got Sacramento Kings who are hoping to get to 40 wins. So the bar to be in the play-in tournament is pretty low. Like, if they can't get in the play-in tournament again this year, they got some real problems. But to Brian's point about getting beyond that, this is a team that's got 10, 11 minimum salary slots on it. Like, for as good as LeBron James and Anthony Davis are, the, the, Russell, the Russell Westbrook trade last year 
it sucked away all the depth off this team and left them in the position they were last year where they were fighting and clawing just to get in the playing tournament or unable to do it. And if you look at these teams above them, like, I can't make the case they should be in the top eight teams. Like, to me, it's them in Portland fighting for ninth, and they're going to kind of be in that tier, barring injuries across the board to other teams. I actually had them at lower wins when I submitted my win total, which is probably not popular here in Los Angeles. I had them at 38 wins, which is still in that play-in in tournament, and when you have the Westbrook situation that's going to linger probably all season unless they make a trade for Kyrie Irving and that's going to take multiple draft picks. Whenever you go out and you sign eight or nine players to the veteran minimum exception, this year you went a little bit younger. Those are guys who are playing for a job for their next contract here. And I think everything has to align right, whether it be from a health standpoint with Anthony Davis, with LeBron. We don't know if Westbrook will be there when we get to the trade deadline. And who at it, you have to hit on like three out of six of these players that you sign, whether it be Lonnie Walker or Troy Brown, one of these younger players. You saw with Malik Monk and that's going to be the challenge here, and I think the Western Conference has certainly gotten a lot better, and that's kind of why we see them in that nine seed. They hit on one minimum signing last year, and then they couldn't afford to keep yeah. them. Bobby, I'm going to come back to you since your popularity is skyrocketing <laughs> here in this neighborhood. Um, the Warriors are the defending champs, but the respect on these projections seem to be going to the sun. How can Phoenix build on such a monumental season and do it again? Well, it's the team continuity factor. That's what everyone is going to rely on here. I think the big question for me is going to be DeAndre Ayton, of course, as far as, you know, there were certainly some lingering bad, you know, uh, bad taste as far as how that season ended. Is Ayton going to be a rental? For the year, does we get to January 15th? Is he going to be traded? You basically bring back the same, uh, the same group with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. But um, yeah, I mean, I think on paper, certainly Phoenix is probably the, the team to beat again, just based on what they were able to do in the in the regular season. Uh, to me, I think the Suns were projected to be too high. I, I would have had them lower. I mean, to me, I think the Clippers are going to be the best team in the West this year. I thought they were very low in the projections from our summer forecast. But to me, the Suns team, we saw Chris Paul really wear down in the playoffs. He's going into his age 38 season. What is he going to look like as the season goes on? You've got Jay Crowder, who is in a contract year, I believe, in Phoenix. Had a tweet recently that didn't seem like he's very happy there. Um, you've got Cam Johnson, who's up for a potential extension. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in Phoenix that I'm not really sure how it's going to go. And as Bobby pointed out, one of the big stories this offseason was going to be what was going to happen with DeAndre Ayton. He ended up signing an offer sheet, and it's really unclear what his future is there. So the Suns are probably going to be pretty good. Well, I, I'm sure they'll I still like be near the top of the West, but I, I think there's more potential for regression than we're giving credit for. I, I like the Suns a lot, uh, and I think they're a terrific team. But I will say that their 64 wins last year included some of the best clutch play in the history of the game. They won so many games that could have gone either way. They could win five or six fewer games just because they play great other than astronomically unbelievable never seen before in the clutch this year. So I do think that they're going to slide back. But I think we're going to see the Suns be a different team by the, at least the trade deadline because Jay Crowder, I do believe, will be on the trade market, whether it's before the season or into the season. I believe his role is going to be reduced this year as they boost Cam Johnson. And I also think that even if they don't make the Kevin Durant trade, which we've talked about for weeks, they still own all of their draft picks going forward. And Chris Paul is still at the point in his career where they need to go for it. So I don't think the Suns team that you see now is going to be the Suns team that maybe competes for the playoffs uh, next spring.
Well, I'm a Wake Forest alum, so I'm always cheering for Chris <laughs> Paul. But going back to the Clippers, you know, healthy Kawhi Leonard, uh, Paul George. But what else needs to happen for this team to, um, you know, get to where we expect them to be? Which, Tim, I know you said you feel like they could be number one. Health. It really just comes down to health. If Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are healthy, the Clippers, to me, are clearly the best team in the Western Conference. They spent this past year, while they didn't have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George missed a bunch of time, they spent this year stockpiling assets, trading for Norm Powell, trading for Robert Covington. They re-signed Nick Batum this offseason. They have built a deep, versatile team. They've got a championship-winning coach in Ty Lue. They can play all different styles. So to me, if those two guys are healthy, I think they're the team to beat in the West. I think for me it's buy-in. Buy-in from your second unit. And I think sometimes when you have too much depth, it can kind of work against you when you have players like Norman Powell or Terrence Mann or, you know, Nick Batum, who Luke all Kennard. think, Luke Kennard, who all think they're starters. We'll see what happens at point guard between Reggie Jackson and John Wall. Um, but on paper, uh, we're going back to the paper, but on paper, this is the deepest team in the Western Conference here. And I think if everything lines up, they'll be, they should be up there as far as one or two, but it's going to have to be buy-in as far as for, from some of these reserves. Well, projections are projections, so still can, a lot to happen. Is there anyone that you think could surprise us in the West looking at these projections that we haven't talked about for a possible I'll let, I'll let Brian jump in in a second, but Minnesota to me is the clear one. I think Minnesota's got a chance to be a top-four team in the West. You could argue they have the same formula that the Utah Jazz have had the last several years, not that they added Rudy Gobert, except instead of just Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, they have Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. So to me, Minnesota could easily be, in my opinion, a top four seed in the Western Conference and win 55 games because I think got a chance to have an awesome offense. And with Rudy Gobert on your team, you're almost guaranteed to have a top ten defense no matter what. Brian? We have often seen players explode in their third seasons. It has been the pivot point where star players go to superstars throughout modern NBA history. So here we have Anthony Edwards to maybe show us that move. He is already heading in that direction, and now he's going to get great support from a much better uh, so, you know, a team around him. He could take a huge step forward. He could take, a, you know, basically John Morant made that jump this last year. Uh, if we see Edwards make that jump, that number seven's position for Minnesota could look laughable. I don't know for sure whether he will, but you could make the case that he's on that path. And with Rudy Gobert coming there, that will elevate their defense. You could see that being a lot different. And that 49 wins being a low number, depending on health, of course. It's going to be right. the year of the Ant-Man, calling it now. The <laughs> year of the Ant-Man. A lot of love for Minnesota. All right, coming up on NBA Today, more from the summer runs. Don't miss what Giannis and the Knicks are up to this offseason. Also, more on our win-loss projections in the West. Which team made the biggest jump heading into the next season? Find out next. Plus, our panel goes through the most realistic trades involving Kevin Durant. NBA Today will be back after the break. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kevin Durant has requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. This is seismic. Kyrie Irving ruined the franchise. Kevin Durant has had enough. Wherever he ends up, a lot of people are going to make that team the favorite to win it all. It is an opportunity for Kevin Durant to sort of reclaim the story of his career. Welcome back to NBA Today. Back here with our fantastic panel of reporters and insiders, as well as our reporter Jamal Collier, who covers the Eastern Conference. Now, Bobby, as our front office insider, I'd like to start this with you. You've put together mega deals before. Now it's time to hit our audience with the most realistic trades for Mr. Durant. What have you got? Well, first, the trade machine got stuck at LAX. (laughs) So we are not working with a trade machine right now. Hopefully, maybe later in the week here. But I think Certainly when you look at starting with the Boston Celtics, right? That's a team that we've, we've mentioned in the last couple of weeks here. Certainly the best player potentially available when you look at a player like Jalen Brown, who's got two years left on his contract to make the money work. A player like Derek White, who came off the bench. Grant Williams, so you're getting nice role players. Uh, they've got three first-round picks to put in a deal. They don't have four to add. But I think if you're the Celtics, are you relying on this team right now that just lost in six games to the Golden State Warriors? good enough to win it potentially or does a player like Kevin Durant put you over the top so I think certainly from Brooklyn's perspective Jalen Brown is the best player that potentially could could be out there and then I think when you certainly look at a team like Toronto Raptors the Raptors check all the boxes right we're not talking about Scotty Barnes who's not on the table right now but when you look at certainly all four first round picks a player like OG Ananobi Gary Trent Thaddeus Young you could swap out Ananobi for Pascal Siakam so you've got a little bit of some young players you've got draft picks here they're not the perfect trades right I think if Brooklyn's going to be looking for the perfect trade next August we're going to be sitting in the same situation talking again here so those are the two teams certainly to keep an eye out as far as what could be the best deal for a player like Kevin Durant so the market is the market and we hear you on that but if you could make up one fun trade just something that you would hope or could happen with Kevin Durant something fun Bobby what do you got Well, I mean, I think certainly Miami for me is interesting as far as what would be out there. But we run into the problem with, you know, Bam Adebayo can't be traded to Brooklyn because of Ben Simmons as far as the designated rookie extension, as far as two players being on that same roster here. I don't see Brooklyn taking a player like Kyle Lowry, um, you know, Tyler Hero. They've got three first-round picks. Nikola Jovic, nice pieces here. But um, the the hard part, and I saw this in Brooklyn when we made the Darren Williams trade in 2011, like we would have never been able to go out and sign Darren if he was a free agent. So we were that mid-market, small-market team to go out, that wild-card team. I don't see a wild-card team like Orlando or maybe even his former team, Oklahoma City, Sacramento, that would be willing to go out and, and give basically push everything to the middle for Kevin Durant because, as we talked in the first segment, what's to say that a year from now Kevin Durant's going to say, you know what? 
I'm not happy with the head coach here. I'm not happy with the front office here. I want out. And now that team is basically in the same situation as Brooklyn. Okay, so you went to South Beach for your fun. <laughs> most people do. Jamal, let's start with you. The most realistic trade that you would say you think works best for Kevin Durant? I think from the beginning, Toronto's made the most sense. I mean, they've got the young pieces you talked about just practically. They've got the draft picks. And you didn't have uh, Pascal Siakam on the board or even Scotty Barnes. I think still just having those guys in reserve, if I'm the DM in Toronto and I'm just nerfing my, uh, my position right away here, but I'm willing to put those guys in because I think that they've got something building here and they've got a chance to, to win a championship they can bring Katie in. And I still think they're just a step down from those other contenders in the Eastern Conference without it. So uh, Toronto to me from the beginning and I think just off the heels of the Kawhi trade, we still, there's, there's a lot of parallels between the two situations. I think that that would be a fun situation. One of the, the fun small market teams that I've been thinking about though is I've been trying to think about some KD trades. I really would like to see Memphis mm. make a trade like this. I don't think it makes a lot of sense because they've been making so many steps and they uh, really had a very a good year and that core is kind of building together around John Morant. But all the things you just said, Memphis is the one that keeps kind of coming to me and all of a sudden you elevate them right into the mix in the West. I mean, listen, Ja, ja and KD would be pretty great. And I, I'm with, I've been with you from the beginning. I think Toronto makes the most sense in terms of having the assets to give up and needing to make a jump up to the next level, right? And that's why, while Bobby obviously knows how to put these deals together and the Boston deal makes sense to me, if I'm the Celtics, I'm not even coming close to making that trade. Because if you look at these deals in the past and you look at these kinds of trades as they come together, like you mentioned the Kawhi trade, the Raptors at that point had really maxed out what that group was. And so it wasn't really a cost for them to trade DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl in a late first-round pick because they were getting a free roll at one of the five or six best players in the league. And if it didn't work, they were going to go in another direction anyway. And so when these teams go after these kinds of players, it's to get into that championship stratosphere. To me, the Boston Celtics, especially after adding Malcolm Brogdon and adding Danilo Gallinari, improving their bench scoring, the one thing they really needed to add this offseason, I think they clearly are in that championship group. And to me, I wouldn't be sacrificing Jalen Brown and Grant Williams and Derek White and Picks when I could have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Maybe we'll get a third star later. So to me, I, I think as far as that goes, if I'm the Celtics, I'm saying thanks, but no thanks. I think that Boston trade is more of a January trade. If Boston's sitting around the five seed, kind of similar to where they were a year ago, maybe where that 500, where they say, you know what, Kevin Durant can get us over the top. You know what? Jalen Brown's got another year. He might leave in free agency in 2024. A Brown and, and Tatum, to, um, Durant and Tatum together could be push us, you know, to that top seed here. And I think that's the issue with a lot of these teams right now. Is like I've been through it. We love our rosters in August and September, but when it gets to October and you start playing a little bit, it's like, well, maybe we can give a little bit more than what we're offering right now for Kevin Durant. Well, and you've said that from the beginning, Bobby, really going back to the end of June, right? It, the only way for the Nets to increase their leverage is to create a position of strength, and that is by keeping Kevin Durant on the team, getting into the season, and waiting for some of these other teams to have a five-game losing streak, to have somebody get hurt, to have somebody decide they want to leave. Then maybe their position changes, but as of now, they're just not getting any close to anything like the offers that Bobby laid out here. Brian, where are you on this as you listen to all these possibilities? There's two things about this trade that we have to remember that are easy to forget because it's just been on the table for so long. Number one, the Nets cannot rebuild. The way they are, they're, they, they don't own their, their picks going forward, so they can't do a teardown trade. So trades that are based solely on draft picks, um, 
you know, it just doesn't work for them. The second thing is they can't trade for another um, player who is on a designated rookie extension. Bobby has talked about for months now. Um, that limits the number of star players that they can trade for because they've got Ben Simmons already on the roster. And that narrows the field of the trades right down. And that's why the Celtics are being discussed here because Jalen Brown fits in that narrow little window that's and it. he has actually been offered. It's not a pie in the sky situation. It's not a demand that is getting um, ignored. That is a demand that's actually been met, Jalen Brown. So that is why that is at the forefront of everybody. But if you're looking for a team that would be very interesting, I'll bring up the New Orleans Pelicans. They have the assets to do it. Zion Williamson is expected, is hope that he is going to have a bounce back uh, year this year. And I'm going to tell you, having been in New Orleans in the playoffs, that is a very, that is an exciting market ex ready to explode. And if Durant went there, I think that that would potentially be a championship contender immediately. Uh, what's funny is that, that uh, Celtics and KD trade, if you brought it up in January or December, it would have been an automatic no from the Nets. And now I feel it's the opposite here. <laughs> right. that Boston wouldn't do that. It's funny how things change. Right. Timing is everything. All right, coming up next on NBA Today, Steph Curry bought his new hardware to the T-Box. When you have four of them, I guess it's no big deal. NBA Today will be right back. There's some actual basketball being played right now. Let's look around the hoops world with summer runs. Giannis in action. Always good to see the Greek freak. Yeah, I heard that. Something else. Playing basketball in August. Greece taking on Spain in a friendly exhibition earlier today. Obviously, he put on a show, had the packed house. The crowd was on their feet. Jamal, you cover the Bucks. It seems like each season he adds a little something else to his game. What do you expect him to work on this summer to unleash that next level of Greek freak? I feel like anytime uh, Giannis is the opposing player, nobody on Spain will use the word friendly <laughs> for the way that he just is going at them. Uh, you know, the shooting is obviously always the big thing with Giannis. He's so dominated getting to the basket and, and kind of forcing his uh, will there. But, you know, he hit a couple of jump shots in this game. He 31 points, 31 and 10 in 20 minutes. Uh, you know, just and also they held Spain 70 points uh, in this. So just, you know, Greece not necessarily known for their defense to go out there and shut Spain down. Um, I mean, he's just impressive, and I'm, I'm excited to see what else he's going to have next year. And who plays defense in summer, like summertime basketball, right? Well, That's how it's I mean, for. These teams are getting ready to play in the European Championships, otherwise known as Eurobasket. So they're, they're playing some real defense. But, you know, look, obviously Giannis has really gone on, really taken a couple massive sets forward the past couple years. Obviously won the championship, has won a couple of MVPs. And it will be interesting to see in FIBA ball where, you know, in the European Championships, you know, Rudy Gobert is playing in this tournament. Luka Doncic is playing in this tournament. You know, some of there are some of the best players in the world that'll be playing in these games. So I'll be curious to see how far Greece can go. And if we do see some flashes of what Jamal was talking about, does you know, do we see some more threes from Giannis? Do we see some other stuff as part of his game? But I think we all know when they get back here in the fall, the Bucks are going to be ready to go and try to make up for was a disappointing end of their season last year against Boston in the second round. Yeah, well, in some other summer runs, the Knicks were just trying to enjoy the summer, you know? I mean, just some fun basketball. But the Pro-Am team they were playing against had higher hopes. Yes, some Knicks players, including Julius Randle, Obi Toppin, and new acquisition Jalen Brunson lost to a Pro-Am team in the Bronx. Uh, Brian, concerns there? 
Now, I'm not concerned about their Pro-Am record. <laughs> I am concerned about how they're going to take a step forward to uh, get into the top eight in the East because I don't think uh, they've quite made enough with their roster this year to do that. But uh, I wouldn't overreact to a, uh, a summer Pro-Am game. Yeah, I mean, I'm with Brian on that. This obviously is a funny thing, and people can clown on the Knicks because they like to. But, you know, I, I think the bigger question is, can these guys find a way to get into the top eight. And to me, that's even if they do find a way to pull off a Donovan Mitchell trade. I still don't know if this group has enough. We talked about how deep the West is earlier. The East is loaded. And to get in that top eight is going to be hard. And I think it might even be hard for the Knicks at this point to get into the play-in tournament, period. So they're going to have an interesting season ahead. There's no question about that. I know who I uh, definitely would be overreacting to this, Danny Ainge. Because the price for <laughs> Donovan Mitchell just went up after seeing this. You guys need to another first round pick, another yet. player. Uh, absolutely. Right. Someone cares about that score. <laughs> All right. Lastly, Steph Curry enjoying a little summer run, but his idea of a good summer run is on the golf course. He was joined by his brother-in-law, Damian Lee, as well as the Larry O'Brien, as in the NBA championship trophy for this outing in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Brian, as our resident golf hobbyist, um, does Steph have a career in golf post-NBA? Because he seems to spend a lot of time on the course. I can't believe how good of a player he is for a guy who can't practice that much. To be a scratch golfer, and by the way, he plays in like, in like a pro events and shoots under par or even par, which is under high pressure. I don't know when he finds the time to do it because he obviously spends a lot of time in the gym. So Steph is an incredible golfer. And I have to say some of the greatest three-point shooters in NBA history have been great golfers, Ray Allen being one of them. There's something about the, the mental aspect of the repeatable swing and the repeatable shot. And so I think Steph Curry could end up playing on the, uh, on the senior tour someday. So the question is, is he better than you? <laughs> Absolutely. Without question. Okay. He's way better than me. Okay. Had to ask the question. All right. Well, still to come on NBA Today, we're less than a week away from the end of the WNBA regular season. We dive into the race for the playoff next with WNBA analyst Andrea Carter as NBA Today rolls on. You're watching NBA Today, live from Los Angeles. The WNBA playoffs are getting heated down the stretch of the regular season. And here to join me is ESPN WNBA analyst Andrea Carter. First of all, Andrea, I have to say I love the throwback Charlotte Sting t-shirt. Don Staley, Andrea Stinson, that was, a, that was quite a squad. <laughs> Listen, I am pushing for a team in Charlotte, Latrina. You know I live in Charlotte, so I would love nothing more than a WNBA team to come to Queen City. From your mouth to the ears of WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert as we talk about expansion, uh, hopefully in the future. All right, so let's talk about the new playoff format for the WNBA, Drea. Honestly, top eight teams will make it into the playoffs. Um, the top four teams will host in the first round. And this year, the first round is the best of three. Now, the interesting aspect of that best of three format is it's actually 2-1. So the home team will host the first two. Then the road team, if there is a, a game three, uh, will get an opportunity to host. What are your thoughts on the changes? No more single elimination games. How do you feel about it? I love that there are no more single elimination games. I think it creates a little more competition. I think it creates opportunities for some of those lower seeds to actually have a shot, right? When you play one game, 
you can't make any adjustments. You can't figure anything out. I think that's the beauty of basketball is the chess match, right? So if a team is scoring in the inside, I want to see one more game, two more games to see if the opponent can stop that. Now, what I don't love, I don't love the two at home and then one away. I wish it was one, one, one. Now that makes our job a little bit harder as there's more travel. It makes the team's job a little bit harder as there's more travel. So that might be the case is why they're not doing that. But I would love to see it eventually be one, one, and one. So you play one at the high seed, then you play one at the low seed, and you play one at the high seed again, because I think that that creates a little more sense of competition and parity in the comp in the playoffs and when you think about a team like dallas that just clinched the six seed six seed spot their home arena that crowd the way they get fired up behind marina mabry the way they get fired up behind that team i want to see them get a shot in game two right so having to wait till game three is not my favorite, but regardless, I love the new format. I love where it's going. Yeah, that's interesting because when I first heard it was a 2-1, I was like, oh, so the home team just has to win two games. But if they yeah. don't, they've got to go on the road to win that third. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned yeah. Dallas. They did secure their spot in the playoffs now with that at the number six position. There's still two spots open. One of those teams that is trying to make a push into the playoffs is the Phoenix Mercury. And the Mercury announced Diana Taurasi has officially, she's out for the remainder of the season with a quad strain. Um, she is one of three players to record 500 points, 100 rebounds, and 100 assists this season. And this is obviously impactful. Now, Skylar Diggins-Smith has had an MVP caliber season, but what is the impact of the loss of Diana Taurasi as they look to not only get into the playoffs, but hopefully make a run? I think it's huge uh, because Diana Taurasi has been to the playoffs. She is an elite scorer. She is a clutch scorer. She is a competitor. And when you think about Diana Taurasi, she has this immense confidence that she can spread to everyone and that she brings when she is on the floor. However, there have been times this season where it was very up and down, right? There were times where she had phenomenal performances on the offensive end. And then there were times where she was attacked on the defensive end and other teams were going to put her in situations and challenge her to play defense. So it was kind of like a catch 22 at times, but there is no replacing Diana Taurasi when she is absolutely at her best. I think Phoenix will miss her a ton. I know Phoenix will miss her on the floor, but the best thing that could have happened to Phoenix, in my opinion, was the win at home against New York without Skylar Diggins Smith and without Diana Taurasi. Like if, if you can't get a confidence boost from playing and securing a win against the hot New York Liberty team. I mean, New York was coming in on a win streak. Sabrina Ionescu is playing great. So to get that win for Diamond to Shields, for Shade Petty, for Sophie Cunningham, and those other players to get that experience and put a win together, I think that was huge for this team's confidence. You add Skylar Diggins-Smith back into the mix, this could be a fast-paced team that causes a lot of turnovers, runs, pushes pace, spreads the floor, gets to the rim. I could see Phoenix putting the pieces together. They've got to have the coaching to do it, and they've got to have commitment of the whole team. But we saw a glimpse of it against New York. I agree with you, Drea. I mean, very impressive. You mentioned Diamond and Shea Petty and Brianna Turner. I would throw in there as well. I know Skylar Diggins-Smith yes. was uh, putting her out there for first team all defense, which I'm sure she will be there. But um, last but not least, we are in a week of thank yous and goodbyes. Sue Bird had her final game um, in Seattle on Sunday. Sylvia Fowles will play her final game in Minnesota on Friday. Um, as we look ahead to what Sylvia will do on Friday facing exactly Exactly the same level of emotion, um, you know, Sue had on Sunday. What do you start to make of Sylvia's impact, in particular in Minnesota? 
I think you can't say enough about Sylvia Fowles and her impact and not just what she does on the basketball court, right? The way that she sells out her presence on the floor, on the offensive end, on the defensive end with rebounding efficiency in the paint, the way she finds her teammates, the way she inspires her teammates. You could say so many things about Sylvia Fowles, but also just the person that she is, the way that she sells out to the community in Minnesota and her kind heart, her genuine spirit. I think the her overall presence, not just on the court, but her presence in just life in general and the way that she just embedded herself with that team, with the community, with the staff, with the ownership, everything possible. Um, I mean, she's what commitment looks like when you think of Sue Bird, when you think of Sylvia Fowles, all of these greats. And my favorite thing is they're so different, right? Like we've got two goats that are completely different from each other in personality and size and position. And they were able to leave their mark on the league. So to watch them go against each other is going to be great. I will personally say thank you, Sue Bird, Sylvia Fowles. They are Two of the best to ever do it. They inspired me in so many different ways. So we're thankful. Yeah, it's been quite a week. Uh, two players that have changed the game forever. Thank you so much, Andrea, for your insight. We look forward to seeing you back on WNBA ESPN coverage very soon. Thanks, sis. All right. A huge game was added to our ESPN2 schedule. We mentioned Sylvia Fowles' last game, regular season game, in Minnesota. That's going to be against the Storm and Sue Bird, and that is on Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, hopefully you will tune in. And then on Sunday, the final day of the regular season, so much to still be decided. We have an ABC doubleheader, Lynx Sun at 1 Eastern, then it's Storm Aces. You can bet there will be some playoff positioning and jockeying at stake. Now, to some major news in the sports world, Serena Williams says she is preparing to step away from tennis after winning 23 Grand Slam titles, turning her focus to having another child and her business interests. She made her announcement in the September issue of Vogue magazine saying, quote, I'm turning 41 this month and something's got to give. Williams is playing this week in Toronto at a hard, excuse me, hard court tournament that leads into the U.S. Open, her swan song event that begins in New York on August 29th. Still to come on NBA Today, there are some new or rather old threads released for the Lakers and Warriors. Which throwback do we like better? NBA Today will be back in 60 seconds. Hey, Rain, what's up, man? Oh, that's incredible news. Let's run it back. Man, I still got it. Starting up front, 6-7-2-15, St. John, and he is a tough worker. Chris Mullen. Check me out, your boy is back. Respect the best, the rest is just whack. I don't know how I feel about this. Um, the past meets the present with, with those classic run TMC jerseys for the Warriors. Um, I'm back here with Jamal, Bobby, and Tim. Fellas, um, the Warriors weren't the only team to release their classic editions. The Lakers also released their throwback jerseys featuring the MPLS 50s era blue and gold. 
This was also the Lakers' first ever home uniform. So, Jamal, which jersey do you like more, the classic Warriors or the Lakers jersey? Not the performance, though, not the <laughs> TMC, though you don't have to take that into consideration. It's definitely influenced in my opinion here. I'm running with the Lakers jersey. I feel like that is a throwback Kobe jersey is going to be all over the place. Oh, yeah, that is. I hate that the Lakers use these Minneapolis jerseys. Just, just get rid of them. By the way, can we go back to that graphic and just look at how god-awful these Utah Jazz jerseys are? I, I know no, we're not talking no. about these two. Yikes. The run TMC ones, but look at these Jazz jerseys. What yeah. were they doing? They're terrible. Pretty hideous. I think they copied UCLA. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you have it. Thanks so much for joining us on NBA Today. We'll see you tomorrow.